Father, this morning we come before you and we thank you for uh, just the truth that we heard this morning in song. We thank you for that blessed assurance that we have, Father. And we rest in that this morning, Father. We just thank you for each one that is here this morning. We just ask that today as we open your word, Father, that as you've promised that you would be faithful and your word would not return void. We just ask this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. If you would turn with me to Romans 10, 14 through 21, uh, that is our text for this morning, although I am going to be including verse 13 as we read once again Romans 10, 14 through 21, beginning to read in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they, I'm sorry, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray one more time. Father, you know that your word is inspired. We believe that this morning. And as we look at it, Father, this morning in faith, we trust that your spirit will interpret Father, I know that nothing that I can say this morning will sway a heart, will sway a mind. Only your spirit can do that. And so we rest in that this morning. We just ask this in your name. Well, I have to be honest with all of you guys this morning. This is a text that I really, really struggled with in study. Um, there is a burden that I had for the text, but... Sometimes when you have a strong burden for what's in the text, it can seem like every word or every thought pattern that you put together just doesn't cut it. And the truth of the matter is, nothing I say this morning can accomplish that. Nothing this morning, nothing that I say this morning can change your heart. But in faith, I'm going to share what God has laid on my heart and trust His Spirit to do the work that it does. And this morning, as we were on the way to church, I was just really struggling with this uh, feeling of inadequacy and the burden for this text. And I told my wife that I just really need her to pray for me while we're driving, and she did. And afterward, our four-year-old daughter, Mila, she was like, Daddy, why are you afraid? 
And I said, well, when you're talking to people about Jesus and you want to share with them the truth about him, it's very important that you are careful and that you are accurate with what you say, that you don't mislead them. And her response was, well, Daddy, just tell them the way that you told me. And that brought a lot of peace to me. It gave me a lot of comfort because out of the mouth of babes, there's, there's this simple truth. It's, it doesn't lie on me to present an argument that is eloquent. It doesn't rely on me to sway your minds. All I need to do is be faithful to say what the Word of God says. And so this morning, that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, over the past several weeks, we've been working our way through Romans 9, covering the subject of God's sovereign choice in those that He elects or calls unto Himself. Even though we are all born condemned and destined for destruction, He in love chose to show mercy to those His elect. As He said earlier in the book, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But right on the tail end of that text, we see in the first part of this chapter that there is a personal responsibility to respond to His calling in our lives. And that responsibility is the need to confess and believe. Yes, I truly believe that God is sovereign in election, but hand in hand with that is man's responsibility. And how it works is, honestly, it's a mystery, but in faith we believe it because God's Word says that that's how it is. This uh, quote that I often think about when the subject of God's sovereignty and election comes up is, it's actually a quote that's adapted from Charles Spurgeon, and it goes like this, just as the rails of a train track which run parallel to each other appear to merge in the distance, so the doctrines of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, which seem separate from each other in this life, will merge in eternity. Our task, therefore, is not to force their merging in this life, but to keep them in balance and to live accordingly. Now, in other words, the way that I see this is right outside our office in Sugar Creek, we've got train tracks. Um, and I've gone and I've stood on those train tracks. I've done things like put coins on the tra tra train tracks, which I believe is a, a federal offense. Nevertheless, I've done that. Um, but if you stand on the, two tr on the tracks, they're on either side of you, and they appear to be you know, two separate things, even though they're running parallel. But as you look off in the distance, that convergence point, they merge together as one. I know it's not a perfect analogy, but that's the way that I try to, in my own life, hold the doctrine of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. It, there is a mystery there, but they work together. And someday we'll fully understand so when we read verse 13, where it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, there is no denying the need for men's action or response. And that response is, response is to call on the Lord to be saved. But my question is, what has happened inside us to give us that desire to respond in the first place? The very fact that a sinner dead in his trespasses and sins would suddenly see a need for a Savior 
is evidence of God drawing the sinner to him through the working of the Spirit. Without the regenerating work of the Spirit acting upon our hearts, that decision to call on him would be left up up to us. We'd have to arrive at that conclusion on our own, by our own will and our own desires. It would be depending on the words of fallible men standing in a pulpit like I am today to convince us of our need. It would depend on our own mind to reason it out. Yet, Scripture says that the mind left to its own reasoning, Scripture says, is futile. We would need to depend on our own heart to respond. But of the heart, Scripture says, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Scripture also says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So according to Scripture, I can't depend on my own mind or my own heart to choose God. So this morning, brothers and sisters, I thank God that when I called on Him to save me, it was not left up to myself, but that there was a regenerating work of the Spirit at work in my life long before I came to Him and caused me to believe. Because if He had not been doing that in my heart beforehand, I would never have arrived at that point on my own. Of that I am certain. And I say all these things for this purpose. You may ask, well, what does this have to do with our text today? Well, one of the most common responses that we hear from people when talking about the doctrine of election is this, if God chooses who he will save and he elects them apart from their own choosing, why then should we preach the gospel? There is no need. And that's the argument that's often put forth. And truthfully, I can understand that argument. That's the way that I saw things for many years. So I understand if somebody sees, sees it that way. I, I truly do. However, in today's passage, we see that there is a primary means that God uses to provide that message of the gospel to his elect. And that is by the preaching of the word through fallible men. And history is filled with many great preachers who possess the ability to craft powerful sermons and deliver them with poise and with eloquence. However, the preacher alone cannot sway the heart of man. The one who preaches is only the delivery vehicle, the system that's used to to bring that knowledge and to allow it to enter into the mind of the hearer. Allowing the gospel to go into the mind of the sinners, no matter how convincing that preacher may be, to truly understand that message of your sinfulness and your need of a Savior, it requires a miracle to happen within you. That miracle is when the Spirit takes that head knowledge and causes it to become alive in your heart. And if we look at verse 14, we see a series of questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? The answer, they cannot. And how are they to believe in him 
of whom they have never heard? It's the same answer, they cannot. And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? Once again, they cannot. And in this verse, this series of rhetorical questions that Paul poses, they're arranged in a way that they work backward, beginning with the primary problem. And the answer to each one of those questions is the same. They cannot. They cannot call on Christ without believing. They cannot believe without hearing. And they cannot hear without preaching. But if we reverse that order, we see that if someone preaches, they can hear. And if they hear, they can believe. And if they do believe, they will call on Him. So we see very, very quickly here the absolute importance of preaching the gospel of Christ. It's the means that God has ordained to spread the good news. Yes, someone with no knowledge could pick up a Bible, begin to read it, and come to a saving knowledge of Christ due to the work of the Holy Spirit through, through that word. Absolutely. I'm sure that has happened. But this is not the pattern that is shown in Scripture. It's not the pattern that's shown in church history. The pattern that we see instead is the faithful preaching of the word by faithful men. Responding in obedience to their calling. Beginning with the apostles and carried on through the ages. A chain that connects us from that time all the way to us today, bringing the message of the gospel to you and to me. Paul in 2 Timothy tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That exhortation Paul gave to Timothy, it remains true for us today. For God's purpose of election to be fulfilled in the advancement of the gospel, he has purposed that the preaching of his word would be how that message is spread. And Paul continues this series of rhetorical questions in verse 15, and he goes beyond the hearer to the one who is preaching. He says, How and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And the same answer applies to, the, to this question that applied to the previous ones. How can they preach unless they are sent? The same answer, they cannot. So the question becomes, who is sent? And the answer is pretty simple. It's called the Great Commission. If you were a disciple, a follower of Christ you are called to share in the work of the gospel. Now, there are those who are called into ministry of the gospel in greater degrees than others. There are, there are those that are called to preach the gospel from the pulpit every Sunday. There are those called to the mission field abroad, and so on. And whether we are called with greater or lesser extent, we can all aid in that sending, even though we never travel to a distant mission field, even if we never stand in the pulpit. It can be in the form of financial support, prayer, encouragement, acts of service, and so on. Supporting the furthering of the gospel message should be a burden that is instilled deep in each and every one of us. And each and every one who calls 
Christ Lord. We should aid in the furthering of that gospel in any way that we can. And even if you're never called to go on the mission field or to fill a pulpit, there is still a responsibility for each of us to share the gospel within the context of our daily life. We all have friends, family, co-workers, classmates, the list goes on and on. Do we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Even if it's not with a group this size, even if it's not in a stadium full of people, there's power in sharing the gospel even in a one-on-one setting with those that we have relationship with. And if we feel that, we should act in obedience to that call. Consider the community that we live in where most people appear to be following Christ. They read their Bibles daily. They go to worship on Sunday. But that does not mean that they are saved. It doesn't mean that they have heard the true gospel. Like we heard last Sunday regarding righteousness that is attempted to be achieved through the works of man versus the righteousness that is provided by Christ and received in faith. Has that gospel, the gospel of salvation and justification through faith alone, through Jesus Christ, has it reached them? Has it become alive in their hearts through the working of the Spirit? I want you to consider for a moment the account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch found in Acts 8. Let me read from that account. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he came to worship. He was reading the scriptures. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, is this speaking? Is he speaking of himself or about somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Here we see an example of someone who must have had some pre-existing knowledge of God, of who God was or is. After all, he came to Jerusalem to worship, but he didn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was reading the scriptures from the prophet Isaiah, yet he didn't understand who it was really about. God sent Philip to this man in a one-on-one setting to instruct him, to share the gospel. And upon hearing, as we read before, 
The Spirit enlightened this man's heart, and he responded in faith and requested baptism. Brothers and sisters, faithful preaching is the means which God has ordained to provide the message of Jesus Christ to his elect. That they may hear his voice and know him, whether it's on a large scale or one-on-one. And if we continue on in verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, with today's technology, we're able to get a message from where we are right now to the other side of the world just like that. Without getting out of our seat, without getting onto our feet. But back in the apostles' time, that wasn't the case. To get a message out, a king would send a runner to proclaim news. And in this passage that's quoted originally from Isaiah, it's within the context of the remnant in captivity in Babylon. They received the message of the coming return to their home as it was prophesied. But I think in the setting of the Roman church here where Paul is quoting this, they would have also understood this as those runners who brought back the news of battles, what their outcome was. And of course, there's the famous account of the runner who brought the news of the victory in the Battle of Marathon, running from Marathon to Athens approximately 22 miles to deliver that news. Now, I want you to imagine for me, with me for a moment, if you were in a city and you know that there is an army marching toward your city and those warriors from your city have gone out to face this enemy and there's going to be a battle and you don't know what's coming next. Over those hills, are you going to see an invading army coming to pillage and destroy? Or are you going to see that runner coming back with a bounce in his step even though he's tired and has run, even though his feet are bloody and bruised? He still has that bounce in his step because the news that he's bringing is good. And despite feet that are bloody, bruised, and broken from the journey, to those who receive that good news, they're beautiful because they are what has carried the message. And brothers and sisters, this picture this morning is used to describe those who bring the good news of the gospel to those who are awaiting, who are war-weary and desperate. If we are engaged in proclaiming the gospel bringing it far and wide, we will be bruised, we will be bloodied, we will be broken. We are not always going to appear beautiful in our own sight. But to those who receive it, to them, the one who brings them the news of the gospel, the good news, they're beautiful in their eyes. It's a wonderful privilege that we have to be engaged in preaching the gospel, whether from the pulpit or one-on-one in a coffee shop. Let's continue on in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Not all who hear the gospel are going to respond. Not all will repent. And that is why we must be persistent on our part. Preaching it again and again. Even when we're laughed at. Even when we're scorned. Even when we're dismissed. 
Be persistent in sharing the gospel. In this prophetic passage, Isaiah foreshadows the rejection of the gospel message by the nation of Israel, and he prophesies about the suffering, de- suffering and death of Christ. But even in the hardness of their hearts, that being the Jews, the gospel message persisted. In fact, it's by that very hardness that the gospel message was able to go out even beyond them. If we are engaged in proclaiming the gospel, we will be met with many hard hearts. In fact, it's likely the majority will not respond in faith. But we must remain persistent. We must cling to the knowledge that even though many don't repent, we have the confidence of knowing that there are among those who we talk to, that we preach to, there are those who are among the elect, that the Spirit is already at work in their lives to to change them, to to transform their hearts, to regenerate it so that the gospel message might take root even before we go to them, that is happening. It is promised that His Word will not return void. And that promise should give us confidence to proclaim it without fear of rejection. If we are faithful to proclaim the Word of God, He will do with it what we cannot. And there will be lives changed as a result. So don't become disheartened. When you're met time and time again with rejection, God works in his own time, not our own. It's important to understand that. Then in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this verse here is where Paul sums up what he's kind of been saying and getting to at this point. It's kind of the key here. If hearing is a prerequisite of faith and that hearing is through the word of Christ, Isn't it imperative that we are at work proclaiming that word? It certainly is. And in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he says, And I, when I I came to you, brothers, did not proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I want you to think back this morning to the moment That the truth of the gospel was made alive within your own hearts. When you knew in the depth of your heart, in the depth of your soul, that you could not in any way make yourself right with God, but that there was one, Jesus Christ, who came. He paid the penalty for you. He offered you His righteousness, that by faith you could take hold of that. You could proclaim it. You could just confess And suddenly you were justified before God, no longer at war. That moment that you believed that you understood. You had probably heard the gospel preached many, many times before that. But in that moment, the Spirit moved, removing those blinders from your eyes. You may have had that head knowledge before, from hearing that message, maybe growing up in church, but it wasn't real in your life. My question this morning is, what if that person who shared the gospel with you in that moment, in that day, whether from the pulpit, over the radio, or perhaps, like I said before, one-on-one in a coffee shop, what if that person had not shared the gospel with you at that time? Now, I believe that, uh, I believe Eric has, has said it many times, that the God that is sovereign over the end is 
I mean, he's sovereign over the means as well. So I believe if, if you are among the elect, you will come to Christ. Now, I don't know. Maybe there's times where somebody has an opportunity to come to Christ earlier if somebody would have just shared the gospel. I don't know about that. But I do know it's for your greater joy when you come to Christ. It's for the greater joy of those around us when they come to Christ. So share the gospel. And thank God this morning for the person that was faithful in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with you. Because hearing at that time, it was the time, it was that moment when faith was brought alive in your heart and your life changed. Probably not because of fancy speech, as the Apostle Paul stated, but because it was the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That message penetrates hard hearts if faithfully proclaimed by the working of the Holy Spirit. I know for myself in my own life, I grew up hearing the message of the gospel every Sunday. And I accepted Christ at a young age, but I feel that I received, I got, I received a deeper understanding of what it meant to be saved later on in life. Ironically, at uh, an event, a, a well-known, very polished preacher, who I would say is absolutely a wolf in sheep's clothing, yet God used that message that day. And I heard a message of grace in a way that I'd never heard before. Even, even though I believe that this man preaches a false gospel. And today I, I can't even listen to what he has to say. God used even the truth that he wove into it. He pulled those blinders off. And I saw it differently. It became real in my life for the first time. Brothers and sisters, even if we're not perfect in the way that we proclaim it to others, even if we make mistakes, God can use it. So my question is this morning, do you have a burden for others that they may come to faith? Do you share the word of Christ to those around you that they may hear and believe? I challenge you, when you are prompted to do so, act on it. Don't say, I'll do it later. Do it now. And I know that this is something that I have been falling far short on. There's many, too many times where I say, I'll do it next time I see them. But brothers and sisters, it may be that you are the means that God has chosen to, to deliver the gospel to that person so that his purpose of election is fulfilled and they may come to know him. Paul goes on in the next few verses to say that the message has gone out to the ends of the world. But the question is, why didn't Israel believe? Didn't they understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. In verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. You can see here God's plan to send the gospel message on beyond the Jews 
and offer it to the Gentiles was not dependent on or responding to the unbelief of the Jews. It was clearly orchestrated to be that way so that his purpose might be fulfilled. So the message of salvation would go out to the Gentiles and to all the world, even to those who were not seeking him. To say that he will be found by those who didn't seek him clearly shows his sovereign choice. And I have to think of the experience of Paul at the time Saul on the road to Damascus. He was seeking to destroy Christians, not looking to follow Christ. Instead, in an instant, God intervened in his life. And thank God that he reveals himself in the lives of those who aren't seeking him. Romans 3 Verse 11 says, no one understands, no one seeks for God. I am that no one. You are that no one. All those who hear the gospel and come to Christ at some time, all of those people are those no ones. We don't seek God on our own. Yet God in his infinite mercy, he shows grace to us. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our self-service, not pursuing Christ or a relationship with God. He chose to reach out, to begin working in our hearts, preparing them so that the Spirit could take that gospel message when it was planted, maybe one time, maybe many times. The Spirit could at that moment take that message and make it come alive in our hearts. And when we truly heard it for the first time, able to respond in faith and become right with God, fellow heirs with Christ. It's beautiful. This is life-changing news. And God has ordained that it goes forth and is shared faithfully. Worship team, you can come up. Brothers and sisters, this morning I feel honestly like a fool trying to stumble my way through this text. I don't possess the gift of eloquent words. And I'm prone to mispronunciations and Freudian slips. I hear at least one every time I listen back to a sermon that I preach. But thank God that the success of the gospel is not dependent on me. It doesn't require me to sway your hearts this morning. It doesn't require me to sway the heart of a listener. It only requires faith and obedience that I share the message that God has laid on my heart. It is the Spirit who can take it and bring about change in the hearts of those around us. I don't know and you don't know when or how God has ordained for the person to your right or the person to your left to have their spiritual eyes opened and the truth of the gospel to come alive in their hearts. But Paul is very clear in the text today that it won't happen without first hearing. I don't know when that person that you've been praying for relentlessly will have those blinders removed. But I do know that we are called to persist in preaching and sharing the word. You don't need to speak with polish, the polish of a statesman or a... I mean, my mind goes to Ronald Reagan. I love hearing him. So polished. Everything that he says, I could just believe. We don't need to speak like that. You simply need to be faithful to the word of God. You may be the one who before the world was spoken into existence was ordained to carry that message to that particular person. And since we don't know the who or the when, 
of God's plan, it's imperative that we simply obey. Preach that gospel message when we are told. Because today may be the day that God has ordained for your family member, your friend, your co-worker, or even the random stranger on the street to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we proclaim the message. The Spirit performs the work, and God gets the glory. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have provided those who vocationally have served you, who have preached the gospel message day in and day out. We thank you for parents, for brothers and sisters, for family members who share with us the good news of the gospel, so that in that moment where your Spirit reveals to us the truth that we are able to respond, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross. Father, we ask that as a church, as Mercy Hill, that every single one of us, that as we go forth, that we would, within our own context, we would look for those who need to hear your message, who need to hear your word. And that through that, Father, that your, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that it might be proclaimed, it might go forth, and it might take root in this county and beyond. Father, we just ask these things in your name. Amen.